Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks. From KQED. It seems every Olympics has that one big moment that lives on in American memory. In 2008, it's a narrow victory by Michael Phelps and his teammates in the 4 by 100 freestyle relay. In 1996, it's gymnast Carrie Strug landing her vault with an injured ankle. And then in 1980, there's the U.S. men's hockey team's defeat over the Soviets, the miracle on ice. You believe in miracles? Yes! Unbelievable! But in 1968, the moment that sticks out was about a lot more than athletic victory. It was about social change. It comes from two track athletes from San Jose State University. It's the men's 200-meter sprint. Tommy Smith and John Carlos take gold and bronze. While they're up in the medal stand, they make a very public salute to Black Power, a gesture that has immediate consequences for both of them. Today on Bay Curious, we bring you a story about how two local athletes took a stand against institutional racism and discrimination in the U.S. I'm Olivia Allen Price. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night. Knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. This year marks the 50th anniversary of Tommy Smith and John Carlos's powerful protest. Devin Kadiyama, the host of the podcast The Bay, recently spoke with KQD's Rachel Myro about it. You look up the phrase political foment, Devin, in the dictionary, and you find 1968. It was happening on a national level with the assassinations of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Robert F. Kennedy. It was happening with riots, Vietnam War protests. This was at the height of the civil rights era. And at the same time all these huge moments in American history were going down, San Jose State University was making a name for itself. This was the time when San Jose State University was known as Speed City. Why was it nicknamed Speed City? It was something that it started in the 1940s and was in full swing by the 1960s when Tommy Smith and John Carlos arrived. We had the fastest people in the world. I mean, you were fast if you, you went to San Jose State. You had to be. A lot of the credit goes to this legendary head coach, Lloyd Bud Winter. 
Coach Winter teaches, adequate extension must be developed through special exercise. The way he, he taught them about stride really just helped take these people who were already incredibly talented and just push it to the next level. There's so many guys that, that you could... You, you can hardly count them. A lot of the young men at that time talk about coming to the San Jose State campus precisely because they wanted to be on this team of superstars. But San Jose State was also fighting for its own civil rights, along with the national fight. Black students were facing racism and housing discrimination. Racial discrimination at San Jose State College seemed to center around two major problems. One of them, housing. In this case, discrimination in both on and off campus housing for minority group members. There was one guy, a fellow athlete, he threw the discus. His name was Harry Edwards. The 1960s, um, as I've stated, the period 1963 through 1968 was probably the most uh, violent and deadly political five years since 18... And he started a group called Olympic Project for Human Rights. And originally, that group called for a boycott of the Olympics altogether. And this call for a boycott put athletes like Tommy Smith and John Carlos in this awkward position. Uh, your biggest desire was to, to go to the Olympics. Has it made any difference in your desire? Uh, no, I do have a desire to participate in the 1968 Olympic Games, but I also have a dignity to look up to and look forward to. The boycott never ended up happening. And so in the fall of 1968, the U.S. team, including Tommy Smith and John Carlos, got on a plane and left for Mexico City which was going through its own human and civil rights crisis at the time. They get to Mexico City and the streets are literally being cleaned of blood because there was a massacre. Government troops massacred students protesting that country's authoritative government just before the Olympics. Wow. On October 12, 1968, the Olympic torch for the first time reached Latin America. Renewing in Mexico City its message to the world, unity of spirit. There was this very charged atmosphere that these athletes were operating in at home and as they arrived at the games. So it's October 16, 1968, and Tommy Smith and John Carlos are running the 200-meter dash. Smith wins gold, Carlos wins bronze. Another amazing performance. What happens after that? They walk up to receive their medals for the 200-meter dash, wearing black scarves to symbolize lynching, black socks and no shoes to symbolize poverty, and they each wore a black glove from the same set of gloves because Carlos had left his gloves back at the hotel. That's why they each had one glove. That's why they each had one glove, and that's why one athlete raised his left arm to the sky. The other athlete raised his right arm to the sky, which is what they did as they bowed their heads. Do you have any sense if Tommy Smith and John Carlos knew how big of a moment that was in history? At the time, they reported that they were terrified, that they were literally praying um, out of fear that at some point, somebody in the audience might pick up a gun and shoot him. We didn't stand there with disrespect. We stood there to say, hey, man, I'm a murderer. I'm your son. And I'm wounded. I'm not wounded for me because I'm one of your heroes. I'm in the Olympics. But I'm wounded for the race. And I'm not talking about the 200 meters. I'm talking about the human race. That's why we went to Mexico City. 
what happens to them in the days and the weeks that follow. So a decision is made to send them back to San Jose straight away, just terminate their participation in the Olympics. Uh, They were basically banned from participating in international track and field events. So that was the end of their careers. These are some of the fastest men on earth. They went back, they finished their degrees, uh, but for many, many years they had trouble landing jobs. There was actually a story I read about uh, Smith working at a car wash. Both men eventually became coaches and educators, but it, it took them many, many years, and they became heroes much, much later in the national conversation. Tommy Smith and John Carlos were finally recognized by the Olympics in the 80s after being banned. They were also inducted into the U.S. Track and Field Hall of Fame. Rachel recently attended a 50th anniversary event at San Jose State, where she caught up with Tommy Smith, who's still trying to encourage people to get involved in civil rights. Young folks out there, don't think just because you can run fast, you're going to make a living off of it. No way. You have to get involved in the systematic structure of America to become viable, living forward, doing something. Don't stop. So it's been 50 years since Tommy Smith and John Carlos were standing on that podium and, and raised their fists. And now I know a lot of people are making the comparison to another Bay Area athlete, Colin Kaepernick. Were you able to talk to them at all about that or, or glean any kind of information about that comparison and, and whether they felt that was pretty accurate? If you talk to them and you talk to Dr. Harry Edwards, who's become a celebrated sports sociologist, they see themselves in a long timeline that stretches back far before 1968 and stretches forward to the present day. There was a a first wave of um, academic activism that was framed up by abject segregation. That was uh, uh, people like Jack Johnson and Joe Lewis and Jesse Owens and Paul Robeson. The second wave was post-World uh, War II, and that struggle was for access. That was Jackie Robinson, Larry Doby, Kenny Washington. The third wave was uh, Muhammad Ali, uh, Smith and Carlos, Bill Russell, Jim Brown at that time, most certainly Arthur Ashe. And then the fourth wave is Kaepernick, and what they're really looking at is power. And Dr. Harry Edwards says something really interesting. Um, he sees already that, you know, we have a fifth wave of athletic activism in play, and he says that's focused on gender. It's already happening. We just got to open our eyes to see it. That's what the $5 donated from each WNBA ticket was about. That's what the Me Too movement and its impact did in terms of exposing uh, this uh, uh, sexual assault at the University of Michigan. That's what all of that was about. I also talked to Wyomia Tyus of the famed Tennessee University Tiger Bells. She wore black shorts throughout the 1968 Olympics. Uh, she won an award for the 100-meter women's race, lifted her fist up on that podium, and as she puts it, got no press. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> oh, my know. God. You know, we were up there, and I had my fist up, too, but nobody put it printed that. And then I also dedicated my medal from the relay team to Carlos and tell me, and uh, no one's printed that. But uh, 
they knew and other people knew and I think you know in movements everything don't get printed but you still have to fight for what you believe in. Rachel Myro covers Silicon Valley for KQED. Devin Kadiyama is host of one of my favorite podcasts, The Bay, who produced this episode. The Bay puts out three podcast episodes each week, all of them deep dives into what's happening in Bay Area news. If you dug this episode, you should definitely give them a listen. Just search your podcast app for The Bay. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at KQED. I'm Olivia Allen Price. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.